Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. Good afternoon, Kobus. Good afternoon. Well, today we're going to take a look at a topic that we we don't spend enough time on, and this is really China's relationship in North Africa, and in particular, what's going on in Egypt. And really, China's relationship with Egypt is one of its most interesting of all of Africa. Now, Egypt is really a different case for for China. It does not have vast amounts of oil. In fact, I don't think it has any oil.、Uh, it does not have huge amounts of uranium or any of you know the natural resources that typically attract the Chinese to. The rest of Africa,、uh, but yet Egypt is becoming incredibly important to China in many ways, particularly on the political front,、uh, but also on the military front. So the reason why we're bringing this up today is really a couple different issues. There was an article that came out、uh, on, a, on a site that I just discovered called the World Outline. Uh, and they wrote a, a blog post, or I guess it's an article,、uh, called "The End of Morsi and China's Big Egyptian Gamble." So, Kobus,、uh, when you read this article, what I think is very interesting was the fact that you know Morsi did take a big gamble with、uh, with China and, and in reverse as well.、Uh, if you recall, it was the first country that,、uh, that that President Morsi went, or former President Morsi went to visit after his election. He went to Beijing. That was an interesting point. He did not go to the United States. He did not. Go to Moscow. He went to Beijing,、uh, and in that time between, you know, the, the less than one year that he was in office,、uh, according to this article,、uh, China, in, you know, stepped up its investment、uh, by sixty percent in Egypt, and really becoming one of the the, the only major foreign investors in Egypt.、Uh, and a lot of that investment is going into eastern Egypt around the Suez. Uh, where、uh, there's a free trade zone,、uh, or actually not a free trade zone, it's a, a trade zone that is、uh, where there's about between、uh, 500 and 600 million dollars of Chinese investment that's there. So、uh, about this gamble that the, that they've taken, so the Chinese really put a lot into Morsi. They really, you know, they they greeted him like you know the visiting head of state that he was. Now Morsi's gone. Uh, does the military government in Cairo, in your opinion, do they look at it and they go, you know what, Beijing, that wasn't very smart of you to cozy up too closely to Morsi? Yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, it's one of the problems. One of the problems of talking about Egypt it is such a complicated situation、um, with so many different different world powers involved.、Um, so yeah, you know, kind of it. It seems to China has pretty much been been reduced to to calling for stability and and sitting and waiting to see what's going to happen with these massive investments. <laughs>、um, and of course, it is really massive investments. I mean, they they really have not, except for the special economic zone. They apparently have another six hundred. Million dollars in in a bunch of other, I think, thirty eight different other projects as well,、um, and I think one of the, one of the things that China must be worried about is that Egypt,、uh, you know, that the situation is going to go in the direction of Libya, where they lost a lot of money.、Um, so yeah, you know, kind of, it, I, I think. It, it, it must have been a real. It, I think it must be a real headache for China. It, it is a headache in one sense, but I think it's different than Libya because Libya was an, is an oil country for the most part, and China's interests in Libya were were very simple: oil. That's it. 
Um, whereas in, in Egypt, you know, you don't have that. And, and trade is one issue. Now, there's a, there's a, again, just to add more complexity to this, uh, is the fact that the presence of Chinese goods in Cairo has been one of the, uh, the real frustrating points for a lot of Egyptians because the, the Chinese have flooded the Egyptian, flooded the Egyptian market with low-cost goods, uh, low-cost shirts, low-cost trinkets, low-cost everything, uh, which has good, been good for the Egyptian consumer, but at the same time, it's been terrible for Egyptian businesses. And this has been one of the complicated relationships that, that Egyptians have had with China is on the one hand, they like having trade, they like the investment, but on the other hand, uh, there is a palpable frustration from the point of view of a lot of Egyptians that they're being, they're being undersold. And, and as a result of being undersold, it's destroying what's left of their economy. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that, that's a very, obviously a, a concern that, that pops up all over Africa. Um, and, you know, it, it must be particularly difficult in, in Egypt because, you know, as you said, Egypt isn't the kind of oil state that, that Libya is. At the same time, with the kind of level of violence and chaos in, in Egypt, that must you know, that must have fallen down the list of priorities right at the moment. I mean, the, the, the issue of, of just, you know, of, of just getting a, a stable government seems to be taking precedence at the moment. Well, this was very interesting because we're seeing the, 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 the real deterioration of U.S. influence in Egypt. And as we look at the kind of the emerging checkered chessboard of U.S. and China politics around the world and geopolitics, that the Chinese, I think, may see an opportunity in Egypt to, to kind of fill some of the, the void that the United States is, is leaving as its influence really seeps away. So the United States every year gives $1.5 billion, uh, largely in aid to the military. It's not in the form of direct cash payments to, to the Egyptian military. Instead, what it is is that they put it into an American bank account and the Egyptian military can use that money to buy American military hardware. Okay. Uh, but when you put it in the context of, say, the Qataris or the Saudis, the Qataris now give $8 billion in aid to Egypt. So their influence is huge. Uh, I don't think you'll see the Chinese give the, the massive uh, amounts of money that they've given other sub-Saharan African countries to Egypt. But... Egypt does hold a very special place, in part because we saw for the first time during the Libyan crisis, the Shuzhou battle group did pass through the Suez Canal. And so having access to the Suez Canal for uh, the PLAN, that's the PLA Navy, to me does seem like something that the, that, that the Chinese would want to have, again, as an opportunity to move their battle groups into the Mediterranean, which is something that we saw for the first time uh, in 2011 during the Libya crisis. So there's this military angle as well. And don't forget that you know Chinese warships are in, in, in active operation uh, off of the coast of East Africa, uh, doing uh, multinational anti-piracy operations, and that does give them access to go into the Suez and into the Mediterranean as well. So that military angle is one that is not very well uh, discussed, but I think it sits out there as something interesting for the, for the Chinese. Yeah, I recently read a paper by a guy called Pietro Longo, who I hope to get for as a guest on the podcast soon, um, who's an Italian academic who specializes in Mediterranean shipping routes. And he was writing about commercial shipping routes in, in the Mediterranean as well. And the Chinese have very big interests there. Um, among other reasons, you know, kind of if, if they can ship through the Mediterranean or through the Suez Canal, then of course they don't need to go around Cape Town. Um, and th that would like, you know, shave whole 
you know, kind of a lot of time and a lot of cost of their shipping to Europe, but also to North Africa, which obviously have, have you know, and at the Middle East, which have large emerging markets. So I think there's a lot of vested interest for the Chinese to be involved. On the other hand, I, I was wondering whether it might just simply be too complicated. You know, kind of, um, if they lose a lot of money now with, with chain, with, you know, new shifts in Egypt, and if they lose, a, they've already lost a bunch of money in Libya, might they just not say that, look, you know, we should hang back a little bit um, and rather concentrate on sub-Saharan Africa, which is actually more stable and more more predictable at the moment? I'll make that argument for places like South Sudan and Sudan. I mean, obviously, there's an oil relationship there. Uh, but the politics of Egypt are so critically important. I mean, it's the largest country in the Arab world. Uh, it's one of the largest com- countries in Africa. It's the mouth of the Nile. Uh, you know, it is, in fact, the Arab street. And I will argue that Egypt is simply too important for China to avoid. It cannot go away, even if it wants to. Um, there is another aspect to this that I'd like to get your opinion on, and that's the, the, the democracy side of it. So, you know, there was a lot of concern during the Arab Spring that, you know, what was happening on the streets of Cairo in Tahrir Square uh, was eventually going to make it to Tiananmen Square and was going to make it to the streets of Beijing. And there, we, there was this whiff of what we, what we heard was the, the Jasmine Revolution. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, yes. and in fact, you know, they were, you know, the hints of it were, were people kind of, you know, organizing on Weibo and then showing up in front of the McDonald's at Jiangua Menwai. And Ambassador, U.S. Ambassador John Huntsman was just kind of, you know, strolling through just at the same time as they were getting together for their first Jasmine Revolution, kind of coincidentally, he says. Nonetheless, <laughs> uh, there is a, a perception that the Chinese government is looking at the events in Egypt very, very carefully. So last year, in 2011, there was concern that it would spread, this this anti-authoritarian, anti-dictatorship movement was going to spread to China, and we were going to see kind of a pickup of the Tiananmen Square protests that we saw from a generation ago. That did not materialize, of course. But now... In the overthrow of the democratically elected Morsi government and the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, the Chinese media has been very active in saying, hey, look at what happens with democracy. It ain't that great. You know, and it's been this reaffirmation that authoritarian military rule uh, is, is, provides stability. And the Chinese have said, above all, stability is paramount. So in some ways, the events of what's happened in the past uh, six months in Egypt uh, reaffirms Chinese authoritarianism. Uh, then there was this, this video that I just saw today. You saw when it came out earlier, Kobus, uh, by 12-year-old Ali Ahmed, uh, who was, was, was filmed on the streets of Cairo during the uprising against Mohamed Morsi. And, and he basically railed on uh, authoritarianism. And, and, and this video went viral in China. And it really it was translated into Chinese. And it really caught the government off guard. And so that's one of the reasons why Egypt is so important to China. Uh, for better and for worse, uh, it has influence. It is a, People do follow it, what events happen there. Because what happens in Cairo affects the entire Arab world. And I think now in, in, with the social networks that we have and the connections that the Chinese and, and have with the outside world, uh, there's an influence. There's an impact there. When you saw you know, 12-year-old Ali Ahmed uh, you know, do this video, what, what was your reaction in, in a Chinese context? 
Um, you know, uh, uh, it was very interesting for me to see how how it trended in in China and then quietly disappeared. You know, so so it had this this same situation where for a while, you know, this I, I'm not sure how literally true that is, but there was this rumor for a while that in 2011 it was very difficult to get jasmine tea in in Beijing because oh, suddenly every everything jasmine was off yes. the shelves. That's you know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so you know it, it it's revealing. You know, any time that this happens in, in China, it's, it reveals anxieties, the state's anxieties. However, I think at the same time, I also thought, you know, what the, what this actually proves is that Egypt is not such an easy thing to to apply to other to, to other societies, because this kid, I mean, very articulate. Um, he's you know he was he was kind of making this articulate case against uh, you know against dictatorship and. And, and one party rule against Morsi. So, you know, kind of, so the, the complexities of the Morsi situation in Egypt is so, so complex that, you know, that it, it becomes very difficult to apply to other countries. It's not a simple thing of like one, one government is, to, you know, the, a gov, uh, an established government is so strong and freedom fighters fighting against it. They are, Articulate and and very very you know very well developed different sides to all of this, pulling in the Morsi direction and away from the Morsi direction at the same time, um, which which is one of the problems with with you know kind of people people putting any kind of identity on on what this this military coup was because you you saw that on the you know at the same time the military coup being being condemned as military takeover and and destruction of democracy and a return to democracy um you know so it 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 becomes very very difficult to do i, I read one um yemeni Activists were saying that that Mohammed Morsi is the Man, is the Nelson Mandela of Egypt or the of of the Arab world, and I'm like, you know, not so fast. You know, kind of, it's, this is more complicated than that. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, kind of, it, it becomes very difficult to apply Egypt as an example. I think it does. I think Egypt is very much a unique case, uh, but Egypt's importance to China is, is, I think, indispensable. And there's no way that that China, I think, will, will remove itself. And I, I do think that the Chinese will be one of the major actors in Egypt in the in the post-Morsi era. Uh, a, they've got those investments, which I think they want to, to protect. I think they recognize the geopolitical uh, importance of the Suez Canal, which every major power does. Uh, and then I also think that they they do see this as an opportunity to to take advantage of of the ret- of the you know the retreat of the United States as a, as a global power in this part of the world. Um, it, it seems to me that you know President Obama he's facing a, re- a real conundrum here because of course he cannot call what happened in Cairo a coup because if he calls it a coup then by U.S. law they must actually stop the aid payments. Um, and there's there's a lot of indication. Senator McCain was just recently in Cairo, and he was basically saying, "This was a coup. We need to st- we need to put pressure on the military. We need to stop." Uh, you know, and the Chinese are not bound by that in their foreign policy. So this is uh, this is an opportunity for the fact that you know Egypt needs the world's help now. Egypt needs investment. It needs jobs. You know, this is a country of 90 million people that has an unemployment rate of 30 to 40 percent in some areas. Uh, China can do one thing very, very well, and that is, of course, to bring infrastructure and jobs. And and I think if China was smart, um, particularly the fact is that they want to really improve their their reputation on the Arab street, uh, given the fact that they are now the largest importer of oil from Iraq, uh, you know, throughout the Persian Gulf, they are uh, huge players, particularly in Iran. Um, they could gain a lot of of street credibility by actually, you know, being generous with Egypt. So that that. 
there's there's that angle there as well that if they play their cards right, this could have huge upside for Beijing. I suppose, but I mean, at the same time, if you have a situation where Egypt blows up, um, and I mean, the, the situation everyone now is saying that Egypt is incredibly fragile at the moment, and everyone is sitting in fear to see what's what's happening in the next few weeks. Um, and if if you have a situation where where not only Chinese investment but actual Chinese personnel get caught in that crossfire, then you're sitting with a potential uh, public relations disaster in China, um, because you know, kind of there, there's increasing pressure within China for, um, particularly from the internet, of, you know, for Chinese people to get better protection from the Chinese government. So, you know, that it, it might it might go either way. Well, it's interesting you bring that point up because during the military uprising against the Muslim Brotherhood administration of Mohammed Morsi, uh, the Egyptian military deployed uh, special operations forces to the Suez free trade zone. And, and they actually guaranteed the protection of the Chinese. And, and the Suez Canal zone was one of the areas that did actually face some uprising and some tension, but yet the Chinese were protected. And that is an interesting development on the part of the military because I think it's trying to say to the Chinese that your people will be protected. You know, the events that happened in Sudan and also in Nigeria this year where there was a rash of kidnappings, and we, we saw some in Egypt as well, um, is something that I think the military government would like to make sure that it doesn't repeat. So it, it was just you bring up this question of the kidnappings, which, you know, it, 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 you're right, because in on, on Weibo and other social media in China, uh, people are getting increasingly frustrated with that, and that could really put pressure on the, on the Chinese government to change its policies if it faces a political domestic backlash uh, from 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 social media, so the fact that the the Chinese the the Egyptian military took special note of the Chinese expats and protected them uh, might be an indication of saying, you know what, you have some room here to move. We will give you special protection. You bring us some more money. We'll see. We don't know. Um, you know, we'd like to hear what you think. Uh, you know about Egypt. Now, Egypt Cobus is very important for the China Africa project because on our Facebook page. Egypt is the number one country who follows us. Yeah, you know, kind of, and, and we definitely one of the big problems with with China Africa scholarship is that there isn't so many people, weirdly, who do who specialize in North Africa China relations. There's, there's a ton of people who specialize in Sub-Saharan Africa China relations, and I think a lot of people who work in in North Africa China relations tend to work maybe in French. Um, you know, so if if any listeners are out there who who have some kind of expertise on these issues, please get in contact. With with us on our Facebook page, we are dying for more for more guests who who you know know have some kind of inside info on these issues. It is, and it's interesting because you know just our Facebook community of a hundred thousand people is really uh, you know it, it doesn't really represent anything other than just this community. But uh, among the top five countries that follow us are Algeria, Tunisia, and Egypt. Egypt, of course, being number one. So there's an enormous amount of interest on the part of North Africans as to what's happening. It's also to me when you look at the Scholarship Again, as you said, China, Africa, to me, is when people say that they think black Africa, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, when in fact uh, the Maghreb and also the, the you know, Arab Africa is incredibly important to the Chinese. Um, we've seen the relationships in Sudan, in Tunisia, in Algeria, and now in Egypt become vitally important to their broader Africa strategy, but yet it's not really discussed as much. So we'd like to hear what you think. Uh, tell us about, you know, what your impressions are of the Chinese in Egypt. Uh, also, you know, 
take a look at this article by uh, what's let me see hold on the court ah Rosie Collington Rosie Collington is the Africa editor at the World Outline and the World Outline seems to be a graduate student project uh, she's actually an undergrad uh, at the University of Leeds, and she wrote a good piece. You know, in Cobus, we we want to be fair here. I mean, we ripped to to, to shreds. You know, the, <laughs> an article by by a guy by the name of John Reed over at Foreign Policy. So we want to make sure that we throw you know credit where credit is due. And she wrote this really great article on the end of Morsi and China's big Egyptian gamble. You can find that at theworldoutline.com. So Cobus, if people want to follow you and find you on the internet, what's the best place they can uh, look you up? Um, the easiest place probably is to get me at on our Facebook page, um, where I try and update every day. Um, and you'll see my name in brackets, you know, kind of when, when, when I reply to, to commenters. I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting the top China Africa headlines almost every day. And along with Cobus, I'm over on our Facebook page. And I'd also like to welcome back, uh, to our Facebook page, Tendai Musakwa, who is just finishing up uh, his PhD in, in, at Fudan University in Shanghai and has emerged from the depths of thesis writing and is now kind of uh, blogging on our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com where he's just done uh, an amazing translation of some Chinese, uh, Chinese media on Africa. And so I encourage you to check out some of his translations. But also he's uh, posting on our Facebook page as well. So we've got a nice group of people kind of posting around the clock on Facebook. And then also we're on Weibo at Weibo.com slash Zhongfeixiangmu, which is China Africa Project in Chinese. So we're, we're all over the place. But if you, most importantly, if you want to follow our podcast, you can listen to us on Facebook uh, through our SoundCloud app, but also, of course, on Stitcher and on the BlackBerry Network. But most importantly, you can follow us on iTunes. Just look us up and, and we'll be right there. And then if you have a chance, give us a vote or a comment as that helps us uh, you know, improve our searchability within iTunes, which we always like. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. For Kobus Van Staden in Johannesburg, I'm Eric Olander. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the show. Thanks again so much for listening.